John 14, verses 15 to 31. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and I will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have, I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thank you, Liz. Appreciate you reading that. You know, you're always a reminder of, um, of God's miraculous healing power, don't you? That the fact that you're still here to be able to read to us. <laughs> yeah, real blessing. Thank you. Well, saying goodbye can be really difficult, can't it? <clears throat> Just ask Kerry Anderson uh, after the service. Um, it, it can be a hard thing to do especially saying goodbye to someone uh, close to you. Times of leaving um, bring a level of uncertainty into our lives, uh, perhaps a little bit of anxiety. I wonder if you can remember a time um, when you've had to say goodbye to a loved one or you've had to uh, either leave a loved one or you've said goodbye to a loved one who's leaving you, a friend, a family member. It might be a child, perhaps, as a parent. Uh, your child leaving for their first day of school, you know, and for some that might be fresh in their minds just this year, 
or recently. For others, it may be at the other end where uh, you say goodbye to an adult child. They leave uh, for work or for university <clears throat> or to just go and travel and, and, and see uh, the world and so on. Um, that's where Melissa and I were basically last weekend. Um, we were away uh, seeing Brindley, our daughter, off um, to Perth. She's moving over there um, for, to finish off her uni studies for this semester and to reconnect, I guess, with um, our families. Our extended families all live over there. And um, she's going to be staying with my brother and wife. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for her, but it's a sad thing for us, right? As we say goodbye as a loved one leaves. Whatever the circumstance might be, whatever situation comes to your mind, times of leaving certainly cause at least some level of anxiety, sadness at various levels, and unease. Well, in our account here in John's Gospel, for Jesus, he knew that his time was fast approaching uh, to leave this world, to leave his disciples uh, in chapter 14. And Jesus is effectively here saying goodbye to them. And these are his closest friends and followers. Um, he, he knew full well, being God, that um, the purpose for which he was sent, his mission, was soon to come to a head. Um, and that is why God had sent him into the world. God the Father had sent Jesus the Son into the world um, to achieve uh, salvation, to bring about the forgiveness of sins, uh, to restore his uh, rebellious, fallen, wayward creation who he loves and adores the pinnacle of his creation human beings male and female he wants them restored to himself and the only way was for him uh, to take on that humanity enter into our world and to do that in giving up his life and he knew from a human perspective this is going to be a terrible departure it's going to be painful there are going to be horrible things that his disciples will be very soon witnessing and we're going to be focusing on those as we lead up to easter this year um and of course, for his disciples, Jesus knew full well how much distress his leaving was going to cause in their lives. And so he begins um, to comfort them in a significant way. Last Sunday, um, Evan preached from the first half of chapter 14. And you would have heard the comfort that Jesus gave his disciples in saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, I do have to go, but I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. These are beautifully comforting words, aren't they? And they're still used today. They're words that we use and read out often, uh, particularly in funeral services or memorial services for, uh, for our loved ones um, who, who are Christian. We know they've, they've died in Christ and we know that they've gone and that Jesus has gone before them to prepare a place for them and we will one day be there with them. It's a, a great, these are great words of Jesus to be comforted by. Well, now in the second part of chapter 14, um, and this is the beginning of some a beautiful discourse between Jesus and his disciples. Remember, there's only 11 of them at this point. Um, Judas Iscariot, Iscariot has already left um, to go and do what he uh, had set out to do, and that is to betray Jesus and to hand him over to um, his enemies, both religious and, um, and secular. And uh, so at this stage, it's just Jesus and his 11 uh, faithful disciples. But we find Jesus continuing to comfort them in the light of the fact that he'll soon be leaving them. And in this passage, Jesus brings forth a further comfort. And he tells them this. It's a wonderful one. He says that God the Father would be sending someone else in his place to be with them when he goes. And that this person would be their comforter. He, of course, we're being introduced to here by Jesus. We're being introduced to the third person of the Trinity. 
Uh, you will know that um, distinct to, uh, but, uh, amongst all other religions is the Christian doctrine uh, that God is one God uh, and only one God. There can only be one God, the creator of all things, in whom all things uh, have their being and, uh, and he sustains all things in his creation. And yet he has revealed himself in three persons. Three persons uh, with distinct roles, um, distinct personhoods, living in perfect unified relationship as the one God. We know God the Father, we know Jesus the Son, and now Jesus the Son is introducing his first disciples to this third person, the Holy Spirit. And, and, um, and he says something quite unique, which we'll focus on in a minute. He says that not only will this, um, this Holy Spirit come and be with them, just like Jesus is with them, so he's, he was with them, he's now going to leave, and he's saying, well, that's okay, the Holy Spirit will be with you. He says he will also be in you. Think about that just a moment and we'll get back to it well in this passage um, that's what Jesus is doing this is a profoundly deep and intimate uh, little passage um, where he continues to comfort his disciples and uh, I just want to say before we do launch into this that, that, that there is something uh, that needs to be acknowledged I'd like to acknowledge it as a pastor and that is this there is an enormous amount of complete and utter nonsense and misinformation about both the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that abounds today. And I've been raised in a number of churches, I've been involved in Christian communities uh, for most of my life, and I've literally heard it all, I've explored it all, I have, um, with an open mind, as well as with um, a, a sense of, okay, so what is this actually saying? And you know what I come back to, and uh, I loved preparing in the last couple of weeks this passage. If we really want to understand who God is, we need to listen to what God says about himself. Okay, he's a self-revealing God. Well, the same goes for every part of him or every, um, every uh, personal revelation of him. And so if we want to know who the Holy Spirit actually is and what he does and what his purpose is, let's hear the words of God about that. And Jesus leaves us in no, uh, no uh, uncertainty about that. They, these are his red-letter words. If you've got a fancy Bible, most of chapter 14 will be in red letters. In fact, the next couple of chapters will all be in red letters. These are the words of Jesus introducing us to the Holy Spirit. I want to hear what he has to say and I want us to do that today. I'm staggered how just um, how our capacity as human beings to, uh, to get off course and to look for all sorts of other things and to practice other things and to develop other beliefs and systems of beliefs around things that, you know, just read what Jesus says and do our best to understand what Jesus says. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I've been encouraged over the years as a pastor, oh, can we please have a teaching series on the Holy Spirit? And it always, it always leaves me a little confounded. I think, what do you mean a teaching series on the Holy Spirit? Uh, as if it's some sort of specific, separate thing we need to hear and learn and understand, uh, and, and we're missing out. On, you know, the presumption behind it is that we're not quite there yet. I've heard it said about our church, that, um, that our church um, doesn't really focus much on the Spirit. I honestly don't understand what that means. It is bizarre. <laughs> God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the one God in three persons. You cannot worship God. You cannot love God. You cannot know God without having the Holy Spirit, as we'll see, um, reveal him to us. So I just want to get that clear. Let's listen to Jesus this morning. Let's listen again in a few weeks' time when we get to chapter 16 as he continues to teach more on the work and purpose of the Holy Spirit. And we'll, so I'm not saying all about it today. We're just saying what this passage says today 
in the second half of John chapter 14. And the first thing to say is this. The Holy Spirit, um, his presence uh, brings us comfort. Um, He's going to be given to the disciples as a comforter to them. We see Jesus wanting to comfort his disciples, obviously, as he's going to leave them. And this comfort isn't just found in looking ahead to some future place that Jesus is going to go and prepare a place with many rooms, the heavenly life. Um, This is also going to be comfort that's found right here and now in the present earthly life. Maybe you've heard it said of of, of Christians, maybe you've experienced this, um, or you've heard it said to you, or you've thought it about yourself or someone else, that sometimes we come across as being of no earthly good because we're too focused on the life to come in God's presence. I've met plenty of Christians that appear to come across that way. You've heard the saying, right? (sighs) They're so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Sadly, that should never be said of us. I mean, I know, absolutely, I long for and hope for that glorious day where all the wrongs in this world will be put right, that Jesus will return finally once and for all and he will bring his kingdom here, establish it on earth fully and completely. He will put to, um, to, to, to rest all his enemies. There'll be, uh, peace will come uh, in, in the same way it did with the Roman Empire. Um, all the enemies will be obliterated, so there's the peace, right? Uh, and only God's kingdom will remain. I long for that day. It's going to be, it's what gets us through a lot of the grind in the present but we are also given great joy that we can experience great blessing in the present as we await that day so we should never be labeled as those who are of such uh, heavenly mindedness that we are of no earthly good Um, in Jesus we can have joy and we can live in the Lord's uh, blessings right now in the present and of course in the future yet to come Well, it's not just this message about the Holy Spirit that Jesus brings as a source of comfort. Um, It's the very Holy Spirit himself, the person of God revealed in this way, who does the comforting in our lives as believers. Have a listen again, John 14, uh, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, says Jesus, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. We're going to look at that, another advocate, another advocate, What does he mean by that? What does he mean by another advocate? Who's the first advocate? Well, um, it's interesting. It's a word that'll be um, probably, is probably up to three words at least in your Bibles. If you look at that word, uh, not all of you may have advocate written in there. You may have helper or comforter in there. Um, The Bible word for it is really tricky. There's no one word that easily describes it. Um, It's all of those things. A paraclete, that's the word, is a helper, a comforter and an advocate. Um, and if you look at the word, and I don't often do this, so um, please indulge me for a moment, the word um, is very descriptive. The first half, para, means to come alongside of, to come alongside of. And the second part, kalito, uh, means to call, um, to call. So this is someone who is called to come alongside of. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's, that's what an advocate is, which, of course, uh, coming alongside of, uh, of us is a source of great comfort. Now, Jesus himself is actually the first advocate. He's called that. He's called a paraclete or comforter in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And so now, um, our, our comforter, the, the coming alongside of God in the person of Jesus, comes alongside us uh, to be with us, to be with his disciples. He says he's going, so he's, the Father's going to send another comforter who will come when Jesus is no longer with them. And that's the Holy Spirit. In fact, later on, um, Jesus will stress how important it is that he must leave. He cannot be here and remain with them 
uh, in order for the Spirit to come. He must leave so that the Spirit uh, can come. I don't know about you, but that is just a beautiful and wonderfully inspiring and encouraging thing, isn't it, to know that? The Holy Spirit isn't some force. The Holy Spirit is certainly not a power source that we need to tap into. The Holy Spirit is not some, something um, super, and I'll say it, supernatural that exists in some other realm that we just got to hook into somehow and beg for and, and, and plead to come or search out and, 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 be, and so on. He, he's a person. He is God. He, he is literally Jesus leaving and he's sending his spirit. It's an amazing thing that God would do this. He's the one and the same as Jesus Christ sent to us by God the Father, who is also one and the same. It's a mystery, by the way. If you're trying to figure it out, kids, um, Mrs. Hill is a math- mathematician. She'd be the smartest mathematician in the room, I'm pretty sure. Pretty confident I can say that. She wouldn't say it, but um, those of you who know her will know. She won't be able to answer it for you. She can't say, how can three be one? It, it's, not, it's not rational. And that's because it's God. God is not rational. God is not someone we can put in a nice mathematical box. He's God, and so we just accept it, that he's the one God revealed in three persons. Well, what else does this Holy Spirit do? What is his role? The second thing uh, it concerns the purpose of the Holy Spirit's presence. He comforts the people of God, and he does this by teaching them. He teaches them all things, or leads us in truth, verse 26. And he does this. He also reminds the disciples what Jesus said he's going to do. He's going to remind the disciples of the things that Jesus taught them. This is very important. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. That's what he does. He enlightens our minds so that we can know God's word. Have you ever heard or thought it yourself? You read God's word. Sometimes you go, I don't know what I'm reading. I don't get this. I'm feeling nothing. At that point there, you need to stop and you need to say, God, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, please speak to me through your word. Help me understand, lead me into your truth and, 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 and revisit it. Because that's what he does. He's said to be the spirit of truth, verse 17. His ministry is to reveal to us the truth. And in particular, Jesus says here, those who love and obey Jesus. Um, we're going to get to that a little bit later on because he elaborates on it more, but he's already said it here. Those who obey my commands are those who love me. If you obey my commands, you love me. You know, in the reverse, if you are not obeying my commands and you don't love me. And what are his commands? Not the Ten Commandments. His commands are just two that summarize the whole lot. Love God and love others. That are his commands. So if we are devoted to God, we love God, we prioritize God in our lives. He's on the throne, not us. And, and then we are free now to go and love others in the same way God has loved us through Christ. That's, that's obeying the commands of Jesus. Well, how much, uh, 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 it's a, uh, that is a, a great encouragement. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and he teaches us. And this is really important to hear. You know why? Because um, there is a lot of teaching and expectation today around what the Holy Spirit does. And as I said earlier, it really lines up with what Jesus is saying here. There's not a lot of focus about teaching. It, 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 there, there is um, or instruction or, or guidance or re- revelation of the truth. It's usually based around some overwhelming experience that um, I can't explain, but I just know that this is God. Well, that, that's, that's very vague. That, that's not what Jesus is saying here. We may feel that. We may feel overwhelmed by the presence of God in our lives. Absolutely, and I'm not taking away from that at all. 
But that's not just the focus of who he is. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. And the reason why he does that is because they are the one and the same God. They're both comforters. They're both helpers. They're both advocates for us. And the Spirit teaches the truth about Jesus and the good news about him. You know, in Jesus' time with the disciples, um, as we know, we can identify with them, we should be able to, um, they rarely seem to understand things straight up, do they? Um, They're often stumbling, they're often bumbling, they're often fumbling along the the, the, the way. Uh, They misunderstand Jesus, they ask dumb questions. Everyone says there's no such thing as a dumb question. Oh no, there's plenty of dumb questions. I've asked as many of them. Um, Sorry, they just are, but but ask them anyway, is what we should probably say. and, and, and they do, and Jesus is gracious with them, and sometimes he has to rebuke them, and, but that's who they are. But now Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be reminding them all that Jesus has ever said to them. And this is very important. You know why? Because you may often hear it levelled at us as Christians. Many critics of the Bible will do this. They point out that the Bible can't be trusted because it's not accurate. Right? Like it's, it, it, it just The people who wrote it, they wrote the Gospels, even John, John in particular... He wrote the Gospels nearly 50 to 60 years after Jesus, around that time. So it was several decades. And you think, well, if you and I, if I ask someone here in their 80s to to write a detailed um, stage of three years of their life with someone really close in their um, 30s or 20s, how accurate do you think it would be? We we go, come on, you're going to... The years have passed, your mind's just not quite... This is why this is important. How could these accounts be accurate? Well, they can be accurate precisely because of what Jesus says here in verse 26. These gospel writers and the other Bible writers, the letter writers to the churches, were guided by the Holy Spirit. That was his job, reminding them of everything Jesus had taught them and what they'd seen about him. This is why the the, the word of God is a historical document, but it's also God's revealed word, his God-breathed word to us, because the Spirit guided them and recalled to mind what Jesus said when he said it, even the way they've put their gospel accounts together, are done so in ways that, you know, no average person, no incredibly intelligent person could have written without the Spirit's guidance and work. So we can absolutely trust with a high level of confidence what we're reading the accuracy of the Gospels and of the other New Testament letters in God's Word. Well, the disciples, they need comfort and they need to be comforted in the knowledge that Jesus is leaving and he, he's assured them he's not going to leave them. He's not going to leave them. He's sending another to guide them, to teach them and to remind them of what Jesus had taught and what he did and said. Well, the third thing this morning uh, concerns the indwelling of the Holy Spirit's presence. This is interesting here. Uh, as I said earlier, see, Jesus can only be with the disciples you know, in, in his form as, as a man um, while he's presently with them. But when he leaves them, they'll have this Holy Spirit who will be with them and he'll be in them. Here's the difference. This is, this is amazing. This is awesome, right? How comforting to know the difference. You can see why Jesus is so confident about the the comfort that he's bringing in leaving them um, and and assuring them of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who will be be coming to not only be alongside them like him, but also in them, right? Uh, Jesus could only, he had limitations in his humanness. He could only be physically with them when he was physically with them, right? But this indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
does raise some questions. Maybe some of you, uh, you know your Bibles and you love your Bibles and you have some questions about, um, is, this, is this the first time the Holy Spirit's turned up? Is this a, a new expression of God? Is it a fresh expression of God? Um, we, we know that in Acts chapter 2, that's um, officially the birthday of the church, right? That's when uh, the day of Pentecost, a miraculous thing happened, where uh, God fulfilled the promises he'd given to many of the prophets, especially the prophet Joel, uh, that he would pour out his spirit on many people. And, uh, and the, you know, that they would have the laws of God written on their hearts and their minds, like this, this beautiful indwelling that's going to come. And it comes in Acts chapter 2. And, and the Holy Spirit on that day comes um, uniquely uh, upon a whole host of people from all cultures, all tribes, all nations. It's a very eclectic community at that time. It comes on them. And so we, we might ask the question, was the Holy Spirit around in the Old Testament? What Was he there before? Well, yes. The Old Testament, we often read of um, the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit in some cases, who comes upon certain individuals... But he usually comes upon them and, and, uh, and empowers them and uh, fills them for a, a set time, for a specific purpose, um, and it's usually only one person at a time. Most of the prophets will say that the Spirit of the Lord came to them. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord uh, filled the prophet, blah, 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 and on he went and, and spoke God's word to the nation. Uh, even um, the, the, the long-haired larrikin, um, Samson, right, was, was filled with the Spirit of God at some point for a specific purpose, the rat bag that he was. Um, God still was able to use him. So the Spirit um, doesn't just, first of all, pop up in the New Testament. He's also in the Old Testament. If we go to the... the um, you can learn a lot about people from the songs they sing and, and worship with. Um, Psalm 51, verse 11. Words of worship from God's people. Do not cast me from your presence, O Lord. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. See, the Holy Spirit's obviously... Uh, been present with God's people in the Old Testament because they used to sing and, and, and pray to him to not take him away from them. But there is a difference with the scope and role of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. After the time of Jesus, there's just big changes. Everything changes, actually. Everything is being made new now in Jesus Christ. Everything, the old way was thought to be this way, it's been turned on its head, fulfilled in Jesus and Everything's now new. And so the greatest change that occurs at Pentecost, and there are many wonderful images of, of what took place, is the growth of the church. From a very few select people, these 11 disciples at the time in John's Gospel, where the Holy Spirit indwells them, because Jesus says, when I go, I'm gonna, he's going to come and he'll be in you. To now there's this great number, this multitude, who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The Holy Spirit, who was known only by a small number of people at that point, is now poured out onto many people and, and, and many disciples of Jesus. And that's what happened. The disciples of Jesus began to multiply. Disciples made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. And what happens? The church grows. The local church begins to meet. Disciples meet together and they live together. And Acts chapter 2 is a wonderful celebration. I read from verses 42 onwards. It's this lovely little snapshot of what church life can look like we've preached through it in the past here sharing their lives together sharing their food their resources uh, and eating together and all the while singing praises and psalms uh, to God for his goodness it was a beautiful time and can can continue to be a beautiful time together that's what we try to do when we get together 
Well, now there are many people, brothers and sisters, from all cultures, all tribes, all peoples, filled with the Spirit. But you know something? What Jesus makes clear here and is often misunderstood? The Holy Spirit is a unique presence only in the life of those who believe and trust in Jesus. Most certainly the Holy Spirit is at work in this world and missionaries and evangelists and church planters will testify to seeing evidence of the Spirit at work in, in people's lives before, which leads them to faith in Christ, but uh, before they actually have, have yet acknowledged him. He's definitely at work in the world, but the indwelling part, that's only in believers. Just as we read at the beginning of John's Gospel, remember what John says? The light comes into the world, but the world, the darkness didn't see it, didn't like it, didn't want it. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, was not received by the world. In the same way, His Spirit cannot be received by the world, by those outside of Christ. Because a person outside of Christ doesn't have the power to. We're blinded. We're actually dead men and women walking. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. All of us, we're born into sin. That's just what we are. But that's, why, that's why we struggle. You know, it baffles me. Oh, sin's an old Bible. You know, it's, the, it's those Christians with this sin thing. You think, oh, let's have a talk about your life. Like, are you happy with your life? Like, you know what I mean? It, we all uh, suffer from, from sin, from dysfunction, from things, from confusion, from uncertainty. We're all struggling and searching. It's the evidence of sin in our lives. But the Holy Spirit has to break down those barriers that, that we put up as people. Um, and we'll be looking at that again in a few weeks' time. His other role, which, we, which we'll look at then, is that he convicts people of their sin. The sin that separates us and cuts us off from right relationship with God. He has to come in, he has to take over. He renews our lives. He gives us new life in the power of Jesus Christ, achieved on the cross and in his resurrection. And it's not a matter of us needing um, a special receiving of the Spirit, by the way, either. Uh, that, that's another kind of a, a strange one. Um, I know where it comes from. It's a particular. It's actually um, explicitly expressed in later on in Acts, where uh, some of these disciples met other disciples who they said were not yet filled with the Spirit, and they laid hands on them and they prayed for them, and the Spirit came upon them. Um, and there's an easy explanation for that. Uh, it's how we look at God's Word. Is it prescriptive or descriptive? And often it's both uh, at different times. Um, I, don't, I don't think for a minute that Acts chapter 2 is prescriptive. It's not telling us what needs to happen in every gathering and needs to happen at all times. It's telling us what happened then as a fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy. It's, it's miraculous. It's, it's unique. It's mind-blowing. Um, and then, of course, as the church matures and grows and the disciples with the spirits help write things down, um, we form as God's people and, uh, and things. And what we do learn very consistently here is that salvation, coming to faith in Christ, it can only happen when a person is filled with the Spirit, right? That, that, that's what happened to you. The minute it clicked for you, even in the simplest of way, the minute it clicked for you that you needed God and you needed His forgiveness, that He loved you unconditionally, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, what you're struggling with, at that point, the Spirit's already in you. You can't feel it without it. You can't experience His salvation without Him in us. Salvation is all about God. It's his work from start to finish. And we don't get credit for anything, even some sort of second blessing, as it's often called, or um, ongoing um, top-up. You know, we often talk, you have people talking about an ongoing top-up. Um, no, the Spirit lives in us. And from that moment of salvation onwards, we partner with him and we work together 
uh, to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. We're made alive with the Spirit. And that's exactly what happens to us who believe in Jesus Christ. So, you know, church, when you think about um, when we get frustrated, when we look at things happening in the world, decision makers, when we look at social influencers just doing really bizarre, dumb things, and we think, like, don't they know better? No, they don't. They don't know better. They actually think what they're doing is right. And they've got a following and a great crowd and all just all the likes and the clicks and it makes everyone, oh, vindicates them, I must be right. But without the spirit, we're unable to discern God's truth, God's pathway, God's desire for us. Well, we greatly need a comforter, don't we, in our times? (laughs) More More than ever, a helper, an advocate. And that's who Jesus is. He's our first advocate. He's taken it upon himself, all our sin. He's forgiven us. He remembers it no more. He's put it to death in his own death on the cross. And Jesus then, he's he's the first source of comfort, the first one to help. And then, of course, he gives us his very presence in the Holy Spirit that lives in us. He's the second comforter, helper and advocate. And we need him, don't we? I know many of us have experienced him and we can testify to him. Uh, Often, in hindsight, we look back and think, how did I get through that? Ah, God was with me. God was in me or in the middle of something. God, I know you live in me. Help me with this. Give me wisdom. Let me search your ways and search mine and show me, show me your way. And these are the promises that Jesus outlines to his first disciples, reminding uh, and, uh, the Holy Spirit who will remind them and teach them of everything he's told them. You know, lastly, um, as we wrap up, Jesus leaves his disciples and us with this beautiful gift this itself is a whole other message. He says in verse 28, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give, says Jesus, is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. How many times we hear people you know, in that aspirational, kind of um, altruistic desire, what's the one wish? I, I want world peace. I didn't mean to put on a female voice then. It, it is said at those fashion shows and so on, but many men have said it. Tony Stark says it. Peace in our time. Copying Mr Chamberlain, an ex-PM in, in the UK. Peace in our time. We long for peace. The world longs for peace. There's no one you'll meet that says, no, I don't, I don't want peace. Think about the disasters around the world. Think about the, the horrific earthquake and the devastation there in, in, in Turkey and Syria that we've just been watching the numbers just go up and up and up. We, we long for peace, don't we? Peace is like, when we get it, it's like this thin thread. The world cannot give it. Jesus, in the midst of that, says, don't be troubled or afraid because I am leaving you this gift. You'll have my peace. He doesn't say he's removing all those things. He says even in the midst of them, this gift you'll have is peace of mind, so the way we think, and peace in our heart. And this is a peace the world cannot give us. So let me encourage us as a church, as the world changes around us, as it continues to do, there's only one constant we can rely on, and that is that things change. And and it so happens um, often in our lives, uh, maybe just in the small scale, one chapter closes and we open another. As disciples of Jesus, we always have God's spirit with us, always. He's there forever, so don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. 
take great comfort from the comforter who lives with us and in us. Let's pray. Almighty God, loving Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ who rules and reigns, Holy Spirit, our comforter, our helper, our advocate, we thank you for your profound existence, your profound personhood and being that we cannot fathom with our minds. But we thank you for revealing yourself to us the way you have. Thank you for your word this morning from the words of Jesus himself. Holy Spirit, as we always pray, have your way in our minds and in our hearts to show us more of you, less of us, but of who we can be in Jesus Christ. And we pray this uh, because we love you and because we look forward to that great day with great hope of when uh, all things wrong with this world will be put right and that we will only know you as our loving Heavenly Father, when we will only be able to relate to one another in perfect peace, unity and harmony. And we look forward to that day, Father, and we trust you in your promises that that will happen. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we do so in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.